um, about the only hope that we have um, is uh, to, to get these chains broken, uh, to find help in this life is the grace of God. And by no means does that take away the damage that sin does to people in this life, but ultimately it can free us from the damage that sin wants to do us in eternal life. Um, and when this world seems like it is beyond repair, and in many ways it is, um, there's hope for us beyond this world um, in a far better place. And that's only because of God's grace and only because of what God um, has done for us in Jesus. And we've been studying all about God's work through Jesus in the book of John. Uh, if you've got a Bible, we're going to look at John 16. We're going to read verses 5 through 15 to get us started tonight. This is one of those passages that it's easy to skip over because... And by no means, God forbid, I say anything that comes across to insult, um, uh, to, to, to say anything uh, foul about Jesus. Sometimes Jesus talked in a very wordy way that my little mind can't process. Um, hope that makes sense. Uh, nothing wrong with what he said, but something wrong with the way I process it. Sometimes Jesus would talk really kind of uh, on a level above us about his connection to God and his relationship with the Father, and his relationship with the Spirit. We're going to talk a little bit about our God and his triune nature tonight. And really, all of the theology and all of the, the really smart people who have devoted their lives to trying to unpack what it means to know God and, and all the details about God, all that theology, or most of it, comes from these passages like this, where Jesus is just kind of talking about his relationship with God, and it's so over our heads. I mean, you know, we don't need to pretend like we're spiritual and, 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 and not just confess our weakness. These things are way over our head, and we're going to talk tonight about some things that we won't ever be able to know, but some things that we're going to try to know. Sometimes Jesus talks about his connection to God and his relationship with the Father and his relationship with the Father through the Spirit and all this stuff. And we just kind of sit back and we're like thinking, you know, what are you really talking about? So this is one of those passages. It's not as um, uh, memorizable as maybe John 14, you know, uh, in my house, in my Father's house are many mansions. It's not John 15, abide in me and I in you, but it's just as important. And I hope that we can walk away here tonight knowing a little bit more about something very important, someone very important, and that's the Holy Spirit, as Jesus talks about what it means to have His Spirit, His presence with us. So hopefully, let's endeavor to uh, learn a little bit about the Holy Spirit of God and why um, it's so important and what our lives can be like um, now that we are knowing this, these things. So John 16, verse 5. Jesus says, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Uh, and he's basically making it, uh, making, kind of talking out loud as to what was going on in their hearts. They don't really understand what Jesus means by, I'm from God, I'm going back to God. They don't really get it because, again, we have small, you know, human minds. They just are upset that he's leaving. They don't really get the whole Jesus was in heaven, he came from heaven, and all that stuff. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, he, I will send him to you, the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now we hear convict and we think makes you feel bad. Convict doesn't just mean makes, to make someone feel bad. Convict just means to, to, to give you strong understanding. Um, whether it's about something wrong or something right or the, the judgment coming on the world. So he's going to give us clarity, understanding of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you will see me no more. 
and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus gives us three things the Holy Spirit is going to do or has been doing in this age called the church age. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare to you, all things the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So we get a lot of this kind of inside baseball, Jesus revealing the Father, the Spirit revealing Jesus, and how all that works. Hopefully we'll figure this out tonight. So coming off of John 15 and the first part of 16, Jesus, as his followers, we should be as bold as ever. He has galvanized us with his perspective and this faith that should be, should be fireproof. Uh, and by fireproof, I mean he told us we're going to face opposition. Remember he said back in 15, the world hates me, they're going to hate you. They're going to come for you like they're coming for me. We're going to face opposition. We're even going to face persecution. His generation clearly saw it. We still see it in different ways. But spiritually, there is an enemy who comes against God's people no matter what generation we're a part of. He tells the 11 that um, our minds should already be made up as to how we're going to combat or work against this evil force. We aren't going to take the bait the enemy's going to try to get us to take. We aren't going to throw gas on a fire which is pretty easy to understand why we shouldn't do that. It makes things worse, right? Our goal is to extinguish the fire. We learned that we cannot and we decided that we will not allow the world's rejection and objection to us and to our message to become greater than God's acceptance. That Jesus has spent three chapters talking about God accepting us, God loving us, God you know, going to use us. And he then at the end of that says, oh, by the way, the world's going to reject you. The world's going to actually come against you. And it's going to be kind of tough. He says all that on the heels of giving us this wonderful good news about what it means to be a Christian, to get us prepared and to get us determined to not settle for less than God's best in this road that God has paved for us. We don't need the world's approval because we have heaven's approval. Our flesh thinks believing that is settling for something, letting go of something, and of course it may be, but we're not letting go, or what we're letting go of pales in comparison to what we're actually obtaining and who is embracing us and sustaining us. So we concluded that if it involves hate, we don't need it. We have Jesus, so we must protect the mission and love without limit. And yes, we may face opposition, but we're not going to fight on their level or on the world's level. We're going to take a higher road and do it God's way. So tonight, we're going to learn that we are not on our own on this mission. It is not up to us to always uh, have it in us to want to do the right thing and say the right thing. That We've got some help, and that's some good news, right? Uh, we are filled with... And we are empowered by the presence of God for our gospel mission. So good news, if you think this seems to be difficult or impossible, what's impossible with man is made possible with God. And no more is, it, uh, is that made true and made clear to us in this passage that we have been given, filled with, empowered by the presence of God to complete our gospel mission. So in Jesus' last bit of teaching and instruction before it all goes down on this faithful night, Jesus elaborates to us on what he teased in chapter 14, what he teased in chapter 15 um, about God's presence within us. So tonight, what we've just read is all about the witness and the work of the Holy Spirit. The witness from God and the work 
on earth. So remember back in John 14, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. He introduced the Holy Spirit to us. He called him a helper, a counselor, a comforter. In John 15, he said that we abide in him, the vine, the branch, that whole scenario. That is made possible by the Holy Spirit who keeps us and nourishes us in our relationship with God. So we mentioned it in those chapters, but I feel like tonight's a good time to dive in to talk more in depth about the Holy Spirit the person of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're just going to grace the surface of some of these conversations, their whole movements that, that, that base their whole entire agenda off what we're going to talk about tonight, and we'll give a little bit of attention to that. But I want us to be well aware of who the Holy Spirit is and what He wants to do in our lives because this is the baseline for our activity in the world because God uses and works through the Spirit, through us, in our world. So we can't ignore this also important topic. Hopefully we're going to come out of here knowing a little bit more um, about the Holy Spirit. And, and here's two things that we're going to jump off from right off the bat. We're going to learn about His divine nature. His divine nature, which is shared with the Father and the Son, right? God is triune. A again, we're not going to go into the full minutia of the Trinity. We're not going to walk out of here with a clear understanding of how God can be three in one. That's for when we get to heaven, and we'll figure it out. But I do want to make it clear, and I want us to have an understanding that the Holy Spirit has a divine nature that He shares with the Father and with the Son, as in the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But His divine attributes are distinct the Father has distinct attributes, the Son has distinct attributes, and of course the Spirit has distinct and unique attributes from the Father and from the Son. Now again, the Trinity, the triune nature of God is beyond our ability to grasp or iron out, so don't ever believe someone that tells you they've figured it all out. They're lying to you. <laughs> we, so we are going to try to make this less abstract, not more, and try to make it as understandable as possible not less. I don't want to lose or confuse anybody um, to go into the, to, to, to the far abstract details, but I want to give you a brief overview of how I think we should frame this kind of important subject. A little bit important, right? Uh, so let's start with this. The Bible describes God with many attributes. So God, uh, you know, not just the tr different parts of the Trinity. We all know the Bible describes God as in says things about God. We all could go around the room, we could give our own one of the, one, something that we've memorized from the Bible. God is merciful. God is kind. God is gracious. God is patient. Attributes is just another word for adjective, right? God is like this, or God is like that. God is full of good things. God is this or that. We all understand what it means to say that God has many different attributes. The Bible describes those in full details. But the Bible also defines God in three distinct ways. So a definition is more concrete and, 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 and more important than a description, right? Description is saying, well, God's like this, but a definition says God is this. You see the, dis the difference? So the Bible tells us three things that God is, as in this defines God. He is holy, that he is the definition of holiness. He is love, that God is not just loving, but he is what love, the true idea of love. And he is light. In, his, in him is no darkness at all. So these are not descriptions of God. These are definitions. Someone says, give me a definition of God. Holy, love, light. 
End of story. Now, I think I bring this up because I think this perfectly frames and sets up the Trinity as fitting with the Bible's narrative. The Father is a picture of holiness. The Son is a picture of love. And the Spirit is a picture of light. The Father who is holy, He is separate from sinners. Was The Bible tells a narrative. The Father was separate from sinners because He is holy. But the Son was sacrificed for sinners because God is love. See how these, you might not be able to reconcile holy and love, but God in his, in his amazing nature is able to reconcile those things. God is holy, the Father may be separate, but the Son came near, He was sacrificed for the Father, holiness, the Son, love, and the Spirit. Again, picture of light, He was sent forth and surrounds sinners to guide us and lead us in our connection to God. Again, these are not, the Father is not unloving or absent of light. He's those things too, but I think the Trinity gives us a little unique snapshot of these definitions of God. The Father is above us. The Son is alongside us, and the Spirit is abiding with and within us. And again, this is both abstract and beautiful at the same time, isn't it? To understand our triune God, again, is beyond our minds, but this gives us the understanding. The Father is above us, ruling and reigning throughout the whole universe. The Son came alongside us. Now He sits alongside the Father in representation of us, right? And the Spirit abides with and within us because of what the Father and Son have done for us. But here's something very important. To, to, I can't emphasize this enough. The Spirit is equal to the Son. The Son is equal to the Father. The Father is equal to the Spirit. See where I'm going? The, they are equally God, but they are uniquely their own, in their own roles. They are unique from one another, yet they are equal to one another. Again, this is beyond us, but we believe the triune God is equal but unique. One person, three, three different offices, three different roles, Part of their unique nature is in their cooperation with God's overall plan and how they model submission to one another and at the same time they exalt one another. The Son submits to the Father. Jesus said all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Gospels, I am submitting to the Father, yet the Father exalts the Son. So while Jesus submitted to the Father, the Father also submitted to the Son. In the same way, the Spirit moves at Jesus' bidding but is exalted in that He is the one doing the work. Should they exalt one another? They submit to one another. It's part of the unity in the Godhead. So in that line of thought, I think this quote from John Calvin helps us understand the Holy Spirit's role, his active role in processing from God. The Holy Spirit's active role is to illuminate and impress Jesus' words on us. So what is the Holy Spirit's active, single-minded role? To illuminate, as in brighten, and impress, as in leave an impact on us, to illuminate and impact Jesus' words on 
us. Jesus actually told us back in John 14, you can read this, uh, you can turn back or you can read it later. In John 14 verse 26, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, the helper whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. A lot of people leave off that last part and, and, and make it not what Jesus said, but what maybe came, they came up with themselves. Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, his role is to illuminate and press the words of Jesus, the word of God. So what is he doing? He's enlightening us. He's impressing us with the words of Jesus. Now we can talk a lot about people's different ideas of the Holy Spirit, but this text pretty much reiterates what Jesus already began to teach us. Now, the church has pretty much universally agreed, or pretty much universally agreed on this from day one, until about 100 years ago. Uh, and around that time is when a lot of movements began that have since went in all sorts of directions and really have a pretty dominant role in church, church culture today. And these movements, they claim to give a proper emphasis to the Holy Spirit as in he was ignored for 1,900 years. Now, I bring this up not because I want to spend time dissecting other groups or saying that we're right and they're wrong, but there are groups that claim the Holy Spirit was forgotten and ignored for 2,000 years. And I want to just say that is a disservice to his name and his nature. Because every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. Every believer that moves in obedience and in step with God is doing so because of the Spirit's power. Every person that is saved and follows Jesus does so because the Holy Spirit enabled it and enables it. So the church's history is the history of the Holy Spirit at work. There would be no church history if the Holy Spirit hasn't, hadn't been working since the early church age. He has been the active force in the expansion and growth of the church since day one. Without him, there would be no church. Without him, there would be no conversions. There would be no Christians because we would not have a chance or a way to even have a connection to God. So, now, some of these movements, they claim that they're tapping into his true power, his true nature. They claim to get back to the roots with emphasis on special manifestations and demonstrations. But here's what we need to know and why I bring this up. The Holy Spirit does indeed work, and he does indeed demonstrate God's power, but he doesn't make new manifestations other than what God's already given us. I want to make that very clear. Uh, people like to get into arguments with each other about the, what the Holy Spirit can do, and I don't like to entertain those arguments, but I have been called... I've been told I don't have the Holy Spirit because I don't believe in certain things. I've been told that I'm too into the Holy Spirit to be a Baptist. I've been told all sorts of things, and, and sometimes I'll think, well, y'all should talk to each other because not, neither one of you would agree. I, I mean, really, I, I have. Um, I, I was told that I couldn't be saved because I didn't believe in certain things. I've been told a lot of things. But here's the thing. People love to argue about the Holy Spirit when I think we should remember this little thing about the Holy Spirit, maybe a big thing. The Holy Spirit is God. He is God, and he's really not, it's really not our business to get into arguments and to try to say where he is or where he isn't or try to get real, you know, intellectual about as if we know more than he does. He's not someone that, that he's not, you know, we're not the experts on him. He is God, full stop, point blank. But a lot of times, the reason why people argue and get into these fusses about the Holy Spirit is because people treat the Holy Spirit 
and I don't really know how else to really describe it, but people like to kind of, I picture the Holy Spirit like a genie. You know, y'all have seen Aladdin before. If you haven't seen Aladdin, you've seen some sort of, uh, you know, version of that. And, and, you know, Middle Eastern culture, you know, genies are kind of mythological things. People like to think the Holy Spirit is like this, you know, this essence that you can conjure up. That is the farthest thing from the truth. He is not a genie. We call on to do our will. But God, he is God who calls on us and accomplishes his will through us. So that's a very important distinction. The Holy Spirit is God. We don't call on Him to do our bidding. He calls on us to do His bidding. Amen? He accomplishes His will through us. So whatever He does, it's because God is the one doing it. So over the next few verses, we're going to learn a lot from Jesus how the Holy Spirit works in and through our lives. He works in us. He works through us. But he is the one doing the work because he is God and we must be at his mercy and dependent on him if we're going to see this work. So we've read the scriptures already. Verses 5 through 11, verse 5 through 7 builds it up. Verses 8 really captures it perfectly for us. Here's what Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to do when he comes. So Jesus makes it pretty clear and succinct for us. He is going to convict or clarify or teach the world about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. And when, we, when you see judgment there, he's talking about the end times or about the resolution or restitution of all things. Uh, he clarifies that down in where he says the ruler of this world has been judged. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit has come to do three things. To reveal what's wrong, what's right, and what's to come. So how does the Holy Spirit want to work in your life in a very practical, personal way? He wants to reveal to you what is wrong, whether it's in the world or in you, might be both. He wants to reveal to you what's right, whether it's something that you should associate yourself with or something that you should do or something that you should start doing. So pretty easy, practical things to learn, right? He wants to reveal to you what's wrong, what's right, and what's to come, as in where you're going. As in, this world is not forever. There's a judgment coming on the world. It's already been previewed in that Jesus died for our sins. He uh, defeated the enemy, death, hell, and the grave. But there's still something to play out until the end, right? So the Holy Spirit has come to reveal to us what's wrong, what's right, what's to come. It would be a really good thing for us to get up every day and say, Father, um, I love you. You're my dad, Jesus. You're my Savior, Holy Spirit. You're leading me. You're guiding me. And I know the Bible tells me that you want to tell me what's wrong and what's right and what's to come. So help me pay attention to your revelation. What is wrong that I need to avoid? What's right that I need to do? And what's to come that I need to get ready for? And I think that's a pretty practical bullet point check off and, and, and be aware of a way to live. But there's more. To, to unpack this some more, he works daily to expose sin, enable righteousness, and embolden us against the enemy. So that's really is just extending the previous point. He shows us what's wrong. So he exposes sin. He exposes sin and says, hey, that's not right. How do we know it's not right? The Bible tells us so, right? It's not a, well, I feel like it's right, or I feel, anybody that ever says, well, that's, I feel like it's right, or I feel like it's wrong, or it's based on how I feel, that's not what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't give you a feeling. He gives you certainty. He doesn't say, well, hey, that's right for you and that's wrong for them. He says, hey, this is what God says about it. This is what God says. Now, there may be occasions where someone else may, uh, you know, be a little bit more, uh, you know, open to something or be a little more comfortable doing something that, you know, we, we can deal with that later. But pretty much right is right and wrong is wrong. And the Holy Spirit uses the word to reveal that to us, right? Exposes sin, 
He enables righteousness. So he tells us what's right, but he doesn't just pat us on the back and say, good luck. He enables us and empowers us to do and to be righteous. And thank God for that. He doesn't just expect us to get it right. He makes us right. Because salvation is not just imputed righteousness. It's imparted righteousness. Imputed means the record says you're clear. Imparted means God's inside of you to make you the way you need to be. So I'm really thankful for that part, right? He exposes sin, he enables righteousness, and he emboldens us against the enemy. As in, he tells us, hey, there's victory coming, there's a judgment coming, there's salvation for God's people, judgment against the world and against the enemy. You're on the right side, you're on the winning side, you have nothing to worry about when it comes to the grand scheme of things. Just stay on this pathway, let the Lord guide you, and you'll be okay. This is so important because it helps us understand what a person filled with the Spirit should or shouldn't do. There are people who define Spirit-filled with all sorts of things. Again, I've been told I'm not Spirit-filled because I don't do this or I believe that, and maybe you have too. Maybe you don't consider what the Holy Spirit is up to at all, and this makes it all the more clear why we absolutely should. But these scriptures, that verse 8 through verse, 13, verse, 8 through verse 12 tells us pretty clearly what does it mean to be Spirit-filled or be aware of the Holy Spirit. If you're following these three things, then you are allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you and lead you. His voice and His presence in your heart to help you overcome sin, obey truth, and open up heaven's doors, as in keep you going in the right direction, speaking to that reality yet to come. But there's more. There's always more, isn't there? Verse 12 through 15, Jesus goes beyond this practical element. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now, who is he talking to? The, the 11. Namely, he's talking to uh, Matthew. He's talking to John. He's talking to Peter. He's talking to people that would pass along this information to James, to Luke, to Paul. So when he says, I've got more things to say, but you can't receive it now, but when you do hear it, it'll be the Holy Spirit speaking to you on his own authority. He's referring to their contribution, and I'll say their completion of the Scriptures. He's referring to how these men and their companions that will be followers and join in with their movement, these men, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, will complete the Bible as we know it and as we have it in our hands, in our laps tonight. But beyond just the first generation, the Holy Spirit in these verses does speak to the, Jesus does speak to the Holy Spirit's intended activity through us. Verse 14 sums it up. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what is the Holy Spirit's goal in all that he does? To obey Jesus so that we might obey Jesus all to bring glory to Jesus. So what is the Holy Spirit's goal? To obey Jesus. What is the reason for his obedience to Jesus? So that we would obey Jesus. All of that is about bringing glory to Jesus. Now, quickly, we often, or that's the litmus test to how does the Holy Spirit work through us. He works through us to obey Jesus so that we might obey Jesus all to bring glory to Jesus. Now, we often hear a lot about spiritual gifts, and we can't not talk about this. Now, 
years ago, I, we, did a talk, we did a walkthrough through 1 Corinthians 12. That's been a long time ago. I probably have learned a lot since then. We probably should do it again, but that's not tonight. We'll get there. But we can't talk about the Holy Spirit without addressing and mentioning the spiritual gifts. Of course, the, spirit be, the spiritual gifts being from the Holy Spirit, how He wants to be active in a believer's life, how His obedience to Jesus leads us into obedience to Jesus, bringing glory to Jesus. These spiritual gifts are part of that plan. Now, we often hear a lot about spiritual gifts, or maybe we don't hear about those spiritual gifts because we're not in the right kind of church, which is a shame that depending on what building you go in, people either talk about it or don't talk about it, and we pretend like you know we can't walk in the middle and, and actually consider what God says about it. We just kind of make up our own mind. Now, really briefly and really quickly, I want to just grace over um, uh, these, this conversation, and we'll deal with this in depth in the future. But the spiritual gifts... Ways the Holy Spirit might equip us to manifest and demonstrate God's name and God's nature. So why would he give anyone a gift? Why would he be active in anybody's life? To manifest and demonstrate God's name and God's nature. That's his agenda, right? To glorify Jesus, to obey Jesus, not anything else. Not about prosperity, not about individual things or individual countries or anything else in this world. It's about God's kingdom and Jesus' glory which is pretty big, right? When I say that's it, that's not to undermine it. 1 Corinthians 12, I don't, we don't got time to look into it, but y'all all know what 1 Corinthians 12 tells us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, I don't want you to be ignorant about the spiritual gifts. We shouldn't be ignorant about the spiritual gifts. But when Paul talks about the spiritual gifts, he says there's a diversity of gifts. There are differences of gifts, but they all come from the same spirit. So the same Spirit is the one who's inspiring and, and moving in us to do these certain things. Now, when he goes through the spiritual gifts, there's a, a few that we'll just mention. He talks about the Spirit of wisdom and the spiritual gift of knowledge. Uh, the spiritual gift of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom speaks of skill and knowledge speaks of insight, as in God gives certain people the wisdom to be able to do certain things and the knowledge to know certain things. Not secret things, not things that aren't privy to everyone. The Bible's an open book, but the ability to take what God has said and put it uh, from paper to reality, if you will, to be obedient to those things that we might see God's will be realized. He also talks about the gift of faith, the gift of faith. The gift of faith is not the ability to believe things into existence, but to lead against resistance of flesh and world. As in, God gives certain people a gift of faith, a special kind of faith, maybe a bigger or a larger than life kind of faith, not so they can just snap their fingers and get what they want, but so that they might have the resilience and the perseverance in a world that doesn't always go along with what God says. Now, the, faith word, the word faith movement takes that and makes it into something that it really honestly never was and never has been and should never be. The, the faith, the idea of having a gift of faith is the ability to persevere and believe that God is still in control even when it doesn't seem like things are working out. Now, of course, there's more things that the, the first, that first Corinthians 12 talks about. There's the gift of prophecy. There's the gift of, uh, of the, there's the gift of tongues. There's the gift of healing or being able to, the working of miracles that God would work through you and I. Again, all these things, um, we'll just briefly touch on them. The, the idea of tongues, 
Previously, the gift of tongues was about revelation, as in God would give a word to the apostles in the early days so that they would receive something from heaven that was clearly not from themselves. They would marvel at the disciples when they would speak in these heavenly tongues because clearly it wasn't from them, it was God. The point was God would give his revelation through these men to emphasize this was from God and nobody else. It still has a place in worship and private personal devotion so that God might receive more glory from his children that want to worship him in a very intimate and a very devoted way. Regarding prophecy, regarding things like that, God still raises up messengers. We believe that. He still raises up messengers, but not to proclaim new things, but to echo true things. Does that make sense? Not to bring new things to the world, but to echo true things to the world because God's word is complete as given through the apostles and the prophets of old. To sum all this up, nothing is done for a show but only to show that God is supreme. That is why the Holy Spirit works and what he wants to do through you and through me. Later on in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, Are all apostles? Of course not. There was only a few. They were appointed by Jesus. Listen, Paul was called to be an apostle out of due season, the last of the, 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 the apostles. People didn't believe he was an apostle because they didn't understand how Jesus had shown him, revealed himself to Paul after Jesus had already ascended to heaven. That was a special occasion, right? People throw this word apostle around in our world today really lightly, we shouldn't do that. Uh, the apostles were called out from heaven in the original church, in the early church age, uh, Paul being one of them, James, the, the brother of Jesus, and the disciples, of course. Um, but Paul says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all workers of miracles? Of course not. He says the Holy Spirit might give these specific offices to specific people in times past and even going forward, but that doesn't mean that unless you have one of these special gifts that you can't be used by God, all the more every one of us has been given this very specific, this universal, and this general gift, which is the most important thing and the most essential part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this gets under preached, and it should be the most important thing when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Paul says in the end of 1 Corinthians 12, I show you a more excellent way. He says every one of you has access to and can be given this gift of the Holy Spirit. The more excellent way is letting the Holy Spirit use us to love people like Jesus loved people. Because what does Paul go into from verse 31 of chapter 12 to chapter 13? What is that chapter all about? Loving people like Jesus loved people. What does Paul say is the most essential and important spiritual gift of them all? Loving people like Jesus loved people. Because that's what saved the world, isn't it? Think about this. Jesus did a lot of miracles, didn't he? He spoke a lot of words, but did those things save the world? No. What saved the world? His love saved the world. So people say, well, that's not, that doesn't make a lot of noise. It's not a big deal. That, yeah, right. That's the biggest deal. Jesus said, by this they'll know that you're mine. The greatest proof and evidence of the Holy Spirit is in how we love. Not in tongues or wonders or works. 1 Corinthians tells us that there are certain things that will fade away, but love never fails. That we can't work miracles on demand. The Word of God is complete. There's nothing new to give. 
Our ability will come and our ability will go, but the one thing that we have with us forever and ever until kingdom comes is the ability, the God-given ability to love one another. And don't let anybody tell you that is not a spiritual thing. It absolutely is. Life on life, person to person, loving one another. It may not seem spiritual, but it is. Because you know why? Because the most supernatural thing we could ever do is deny our flesh and love when we could otherwise make an excuse. Super spiritual people use their own superiority to not love people. And they're not very spiritual after all. The most supernatural spiritual thing you can ever do is deny your flesh and love somebody when you otherwise could make a very easy, convenient excuse. People who claim to do far more spiritual things often drop the ball on this main thing. So let's not get distracted by all the war's fault in regards to the Holy Spirit. If we seek the Holy Spirit to work within us and through us, we will make His name known and His nature known in how we live and in how we love. Let's pray for Him to fill us with His power and let's submit to how He wants to demonstrate and manifest His power. Who knows what He might do through us? Who knows how He might love through us? All that we could send this undeniable message that God is with us and that He can be with anyone. And it could be up to you to let the Spirit of God use you to love somebody like God has loved you and like God has loved the world through Jesus Christ. So we want to be Spirit-filled Seek Him, follow Him, ask for Him to fill you. He'll show you what's wrong, He'll show you what's right, He'll show you what's to come. And most and more importantly, He'll show you how to love people the way your Savior, the way my Savior has loved us. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this crash course, quick conversation about the Holy Spirit. Lord, we tread on this holy ground very sacredly, Because we're talking about God. We're talking about you. We're talking about the presence of God that is with us in this house right now that we trembled in the presence of this morning. We're talking about the Spirit of God who is in our hearts right now. So we don't want to act like we know more than you know because clearly we're at your mercy. But we look at the Bible and we often get so divided and so defensive about what we think the Holy Spirit is or what he wants to do and how he manifests himself when in reality we should submit to him. And we covet and we chase after earnestly the most sacred gifts. But the Bible tells us very clearly that what we should all covet and chase after is this supernatural desire to love people when it'd be easy and convenient to not. Father, I pray you would give everybody in this house a spiritual gift of love. Lord, I pray beyond that, give them the gift of insight, the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, the gift of discernment. Give them the gift that you might would work miracles through them, that you might would do many wonders through them, that you might would represent your kingdom through them, that they might would be able to stand in the gap in front of non-believers in a world that is lost and be used by you to do many great and amazing things, but more importantly, that you might would love through them. Because that, that might not get the attention, but that's what gets to the heart. And that's what impacts individuals. So, Father, use this. May you pour your spirit out like it's Pentecost on this house and raise up a generation of spirit-filled believers like never before. We raise our hands and we 
earnestly desire every gift you can give us. But may we not fail to love like you've loved. Because that's a gift that we all have been given and we all can apply if we are just willing. We ask all of this in the sacred name of Jesus, in the presence of his spirit. Amen.